What is up, everyone? Welcome to the Fight Like Hell podcast, episode 83. We're coming to you on a Friday on February 10th in the year 2023, just in case you're listening to us in 2137. That's a long time from now, but we think we're going to have some fans then or an apocalypse happens and this podcast never existed. Either way, to my left, I have my heterosexual life mate, Austin. How are you? Doing good, man. How are you? And I'm doing good. And then below us, we have our guest, Mr. Tom Boss. Tom, how are you doing today? And could you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. Doing well. Uh, no complaints over here. Um, again, my name is Tom Voss. I'm a um, Iraq War veteran, served uh, United States Army, active duty, 2003 to 2006, and then uh, did a deployment 0405 to Mosul, uh, Iraq, and um, served in uh, scout sniper platoon. And specifically, I was in a, a, a scout team, right? So doing reconnaissance and stuff like that. Um, so, um, you know, coming back and transitioning from my time in service was a, a pretty big challenge. And I think, you know, um, we find all find different ways to try to manage um, stress, right, in different ways. So I, I found that, um, you know, being in nature, nature immersion, um, hiking, trekking, uh, was something that uh, helped me out uh, tremendously um, in reintegrating back into uh, civilian life. Awesome. Well, we look forward to getting into some stuff uh, during the podcast. When we go over your your backstory, I actually have quite the surprise for you because you just kind of blew my mind a little bit with something. And mm -hmm. I definitely say listeners listen to this podcast because Tom and I kind of have some history together and Tom doesn't even know that yet. All right. So <laughs> before we get into that surprise, let's get into our sponsors. And before we actually hit our first sponsors, one of the things that we started doing on our episodes now is we're promoting ourselves at the beginning. What we mean by that is the podcast. For those of you who love us and are listening to us around the world, we're heard in I think like 26 or 27 countries now, please continue to like our podcast, share our podcast. We literally do this out of our own money. We don't take anything in. Our official sponsors, we help them out more than we're taking a compensation from it. So what we ask of you is if you like this podcast, share it with someone, especially after listening to Tom's story today or Anthony's from last week. We want you guys to share this episode and share their documentary and let's, let's get more people connected. That's our, our plug for ourselves. Now let's get into our official sponsors of the Fight Like Hell podcast. Our first official sponsor is Invicta Coffee Co., they're a veteran-owned coffee company out of Arizona. Uh, we have a good friend named Spencer who runs that company here in Arizona. He does a lot for mental health and PTSD for veterans. Some of his proceeds for his coffee sales goes to organizations that assist veterans. If you would like to save a little bit on some amazing coffee, please go over to his website and use the promo code fight like hell, all one word fight like hell. And you will get a little bit off towards a good cause and some great coffee. Our next official sponsor of the podcast is PatriotCookies.co. They are a cookie company out of sunny Florida with our good friend, Johnny B tack fit. 
over in Florida, running that company, blowing it up even more and more each weekend. It seems like he's got some other celebrity trying his amazing cookies. He's able to deliver, I think, anywhere in the continental U.S. I'm pretty sure he can do overseas, too. But um, I don't know how those cookies are going to hold up overseas, though. Maybe maybe they will. Maybe they won't. They're really good. Um, he's got healthy options and options that will help keep your waistline growing. If you'd like to save a little bit, like 15% on some amazing cookies, head over to PatriotCookies.co. Use the promo code Fight Like Hell, all one word, Fight Like Hell, and you will get 15% off. Those are our promotions. Good job. Good job. Yeah, I felt a little winded there. <laughs> yeah, so, okay, so next we'll get into – the normal stuff which is weekend adventures uh we'll start off with you tom did you do anything fun for your weekend or got any plans for this coming weekend um i live in the the base of the los padres national forest so i get to uh, okay. go hiking pretty regularly and um so that's what i usually try to do get out in nature on the weekend so that's my uh focus okay uh, are you you gonna watch the super bowl are you a sports person Ah, uh, I haven't been, uh, you know, I was raised in Wisconsin. So, you know, I was a Packers fan, um, of course growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I haven't been paying too much attention, um, over the last couple of years, but, um, so I'll, I'll check it out, but probably, uh, uh, highlights mostly. Right. Okay. Okay. What about you, Rob? I mean, I know, I know you had a super busy day today. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think how I want to say this because uh, <laughs> my boss listens to this podcast. And uh, let's just say that my boss left for a four month detail where he's going to be TDY in Texas for the next four months. So I went from a regular level network manager to the chief of IT. So now I'm dealing with things that are coming from way above my like scope and understanding of what we do at the national park. Oh, by the way, Tom, I, I I'm the network manager for the Grand Canyon. So oh, cool. I, I work at a pretty legit outdoor place. Uh, I don't yeah. know if you ever heard of it. It's like this little hole. In the <laughs> no ground. idea. Never <laughs> heard of it. Yeah. It's actually really cool. But now, now I'm the, the acting chief of it for the next four months and uh let's just say i got my teeth kicked in a little bit today and i do not envy lowell's position nor do i understand how he is so good at managing it because this is going to be an uphill struggle but he's around for mentorship and his boss who's now my boss has uh i'm going to keep her nameless in case she doesn't want to be broadcast on the podcast um she uh she was very good at mentoring me today and told me this is going to be a really good opportunity for me. And she looks forward to working with me on things. All right. Uh, this weekend though, plan on watching the Super Bowl, um, being on call in case anything breaks at the park that needs to be <laughs> Everything's fixed. It's going to break. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, just doing stuff in preparation for the weekend before Amanda's arrival. Cause yeah. next weekend, Amanda's moving out here. So we're no, no, excited that, that about weird, that. that weird chick you met in Texas. Yeah. Something like that. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully she hasn't moved here yet. She's still got time to back out. <laughs> She's so. still back out last second, but that's, that's kind of it for me. Um, are you going to try to watch the Super Bowl with me, Austin? All right, I, I think don't. we'll should. see. 
Okay. We'll I think you should pirate it because that's the best way to do well, it. How do we watch it? How do we watch it? What two? We watched it what two years ago together? Two years ago. Two years ago, you were able to get like somehow yeah, NFL. like a trial version on CBS or whatever they were broadcasting it from. I think you and, can actually watch it on Paramount um, because CBS owns Paramount. So and I have Paramount, so I might be able to watch it that way. Okay, dude, I thought a bug was crawling on me. It was my <laughs> headphone wire. Losing my mind. <laughs> so, but yeah, we'll we'll get we'll figure it out. We we can watch it or whatever. Um, okay. Um, but, so yeah. But what's I think your, let's get into your special news, Rob, that you have for Tom. Okay, Tom. Here's something fucking crazy. Hmm. I'm from Second ID, First of the Twenty Third Infantry recon and snipers your unit specifically replaced my unit in iraq we were the first striker unit to go over we did right seat left seat with you guys in mazul iraq i don't know if you remember that and i yeah i went out on a couple of them i didn't really you know i was a uh, specialist so i didn't really get uh, priority (laughs) yeah but here's the thing like yeah. I need to go find pictures because I have um, I have pictures and I'll DM this to you sometime. I have pictures of me next to one of your guys with our second ID patch and your 25th uh, lightning patch. Yeah. And also like kind of like flexing the um, the unit patches. I got to go find that picture. But I was just thinking about that when you said that you were in in recon for 25th ID. So there is a high opportunity because you would have been a part of headquarters company. Right. right? Yep. And same with me. And like, we're a smaller unit. We're not the regular. Yeah. We're not the regular, like, you guys, Alpha, Bravo, Charlie. You, guys, you guys probably talk to each other and didn't even know it. I know. Alpha. That's what, yeah. like, I have goosebumps right now because <laughs> yeah. like, I, I thought you were, and, and don't get me wrong. Like, I think it would be cool if you were still with like Alpha, Bravo, Charlie, Delta, whatever, or even headquarters mortars, but it blows my fucking mind that, <laughs> you literally did the exact same job as me basically. Yeah. And you guys were our handovers and we know like we had a rough deployment, but we also know that the, the IEDs and shit got worse where they were actually able to start fucking up the strikers and hurting people. And, you know, I saw in your documentary and we'll get into stuff that you want to talk about or don't want to talk about, but it just, when you said that you were with the scout platoon, like I got goosebumps because I was like, "Holy shit!" Not it's only the same, yeah, all army. yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we did our handover in Missoula. Like I remember being with you guys for like three weeks before we left country. Yeah, I remember um, getting into country and just how long it took to actually get to Mosul. Um, just mm-hmm. all these, you know, all the standby, uh, standby to standby stuff, and then to hurry up and wait. Yeah, and yeah. I think we uh, <laughs> when we first got into Mosul, um, you know, it doesn't really dawn on you until, you know, you get like a random rocket flying into your, uh, into your fob. Right. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it was a, it was a, um, interesting time to be there. And I know you guys had uh, a tough deployment before and it's, it's, it's such a bizarre thing probably to see new guys coming in and you're just knowing what they're, what they're running, going to run into and not being able to like, 
really convey that to people, right? Because I mean, we had the same situation with uh, we were getting replaced as well, right? Um, so that's uh, that's wild. That uh, most likely we did left seat. Right? Yeah, we might have crossed paths and literally talked to each other because our our recon and sniper section was only twenty four guys. So like, there's a high possibility that if I can dig up that picture, you will know the person, or it could have been fucking you. We'll see. All, be wild if it was me. I, I have that to would find be, that, that picture. Would be crazier if it was. I you. know that would be absolutely insane. Um, it's while nice. you guys are talking, I'm yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. trying to like, I mean, and, and you know, what, I don't even care if people like get upset that we're talking about stuff like this. Do you but, know on Facebook how to look up old albums like? I can't figure out Facebook anymore. I have no idea. I yeah. haven't used it so uh, long. If anything, if anything, we we can figure it out after the podcast. Yeah, right? after the podcast, and we'll repost about it later. Or at minimum, I'm yeah. gonna send it to you. You can tell me if you know that guy, and yeah. But I'm gonna let you take back over on hosting, Austin, for a second. <laughs> oh, I'm gonna shut good, up because, like, yeah, good, good. That broke in- my brain. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, let's get so let's get into. Your whole backstory, like, why did you join the military? What made you decide to join the military? All yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, so I come from a family of service, I think, similarly to Anthony. Uh, but my grandfather was a World War II vet, uh, fought on Iwo Jima, Marine Corps, um, lieutenant. And then my other grandfather was uh, in the Navy, but he was stationed in London uh, during World War II. So he didn't see too much... Um, uh, action, right? But my uh, grandfather, uh, Marine Corps veteran, uh, was in charge of, uh, just to give you an idea of his uh, kind of character and uh, what um, he was uh, awarded the Purple Heart and Navy Cross. But uh, out of the 58 men that he was in charge of, 54 of them were either wounded or killed in action. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was also um, uh, wounded uh, by a mortar round, I think. Pretty, uh, but like if he didn't make it through that, I wouldn't be here, you know, sitting with you guys today. Mm-hmm. So it's like a pretty wild um, thing to think about. But anyways, like both my grandfathers served and that was um, something that I really kind of both of them, you know, in, were, were an influence in my life. And uh, my grandfather went on to be a judge and kind of this pillar in our community. And he also volunteered for uh, four or five different veteran service organizations, BFW, American Legion, March of Dimes, and some organizations that aren't around anymore. But um, just, you know, seeing how service oriented it was uh, active in the community. um, That was something that I really looked up to. And that really inspired me to uh, join, right? I joined when I was 19, um, graduated high school, just barely and didn't know what I wanted to do. I think I went to tech school for like a semester and did something crazy like 19 credits. And then I was like, ah, this is not... Not, not what I want to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so um, that's when I started uh, poking around recruiters and, you know, went to um, an army recruiter and basically was like, you know, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do infantry. And they're like, are you sure? Like, there's other jobs. You know, there's other jobs. <laughs> are you sure you want to do this? <laughs> yeah, like, are you sure? Yeah, I was like, yeah, totally. You know, because in my mind, that's, you know, the ideal um, soldier, right? Doing the fighting, mm. being in the front lines, stuff like that. So um, that's kind of the, um, you know, the push that I got to join. And of course, um, you know, 9-11 was something else that was going on at the time. So it was kind of a perfect storm to uh, be of service and join. And um, yeah, that's how, that's how I got into it. Okay. 
And and was the army your first choice? I you know I went to um, I think I went to a marine recruiter, and I was just like, this does not sound great. <laughs> you know, I don't like, want to be. Yeah, I don't exactly. just eat cranes good, and do good things. Decision. You they, had yeah. the same weapons <laughs> systems, or yeah, he, he didn't make it sound like it was going to be a, a good time. So, yeah. um, you know, but how 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 much of a good time is you know being an in infantry in general, right? You have no idea when you're getting what ready. What are you talking to about? You. You're doing all that Hollywood stuff, like 80% yeah. of the time, 20% BS. Or wait, was it the opposite? I think it was like more like 80% BS. By the way, Austin, Austin's infantry too. He was yeah. uh, 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 Charlie though. Charlie, he was yeah. smart Mormon. infantry. He knew yeah. Smart infantry, stuff. you say. Yeah. yeah. I was the, uh, not that. <laughs> no, same, same. We are the same people. Yeah. You just have I mean, a longer I mean, beard than me. <laughs> right uh but it was um you know you go through uh you know fort benning i went through fort benning and um got stationed at fort lewis washington um which at first you know when i heard i was 25th id i was like nice going to hawaii and then you know they said washington i was like bummer from sun and fun to rain and yeah way colder and then, yeah uh, more rain uh, yeah. which is, you know, makes challenging uh, training, you know, leading up to deployment, right? Uh, some of the coldest times I've, I've ever had in my life. And being from Wisconsin, too, the coldest I've ever been was in the training grounds in Fort Lewis, Washington. It was just wet oh, and cold at 40 degrees <laughs> in the rain. Yeah. yeah. Right. All your stuff is soaked. Yeah, yeah there's no they getting don't around care. It. No getting <laughs> around it. And that's back when we, like, you know, we still had to polish boots and stuff like that. So that was mm -hmm. your waterproofing your, your boots um it you know that lasted for like an hour <laughs> out there yeah oh my gosh yeah that's that's wild because you were on you'd been on i think the other side of the airfield like yeah. we were on different sides of the airfield yeah. 25th id was over closer to like ranger bat if mm -hmm. i remember correctly yeah and then we were on the other side of the airfield i don't know what we were close to just a bunch of people from second id mm -hmm. i guess yeah <clears throat> so wild all right um so you did one one enlistment you went to fort lewis and then one of the reasons why we found you super interesting uh, actually no what i, I want to stay on your your deployment because sure. your deployment was tough right from from what i understand and would you like to share with some of our listeners on so, some of your so one thing? I, one thing I Go. wanted to actually talk about is the difference between like how how did you feel going into your first deployment compared to like how did you feel going into your second deployment? Oh, yeah, I only had one. Uh, oh, one, okay. you didn't pay twice. attention. You didn't pay attention. I thought, he, I thought he was twice. That was Anthony. Oh, I know you, they look the same in the documentary, thought, but no, yeah. I, was I was like, what's twice. he talking about? Second deployment. Oh, I thought you were deployed twice. My bad. Just one was enough. I got it. I got I understood right. after that. Um, but, you know, going to Mosul, I mean, I, just how naive I was going into it. Like, just I was like really thankful that I wasn't going to Baghdad. Right. Because you hear all the stories, you know, going mm -hmm. in about Baghdad and then we're just we're going to be up north. And that's all I really knew. Right. Going into it. You're like, uh, this will be way better. Yeah. yeah. Like, no <laughs> <idea>. <laughs> <laughs> Wrong. <laughs> But, um, 
you know, being in a small platoon, right? Like we had a, we had a small platoon as well, um, which I think composed of uh, four strikers. And, um, you know, so we weren't really manning, you know, we sometimes we just had enough guys to just, you know, man the air guard hatches and maybe one or two guys down below and we would rotate out. Um, but we were kind of like utility players and, um, we had a, uh, really, uh, I would say we had a really, uh, intelligent group of guys, a lot of, uh, uh, X ranger back guys that got kicked out for either like DUIs or, you know, just stupid normal mis- stuff. misconduct stuff, <laughs> but they really, um, you know, took us on, under their wing, the younger guys and really showed us how to get away with all the, uh, um, you know, like having the uh, the sideburns just at regulations, and you know, getting away with uh, you know all these regulations, like just kind of skirting by. So, like we weren't uh, too favored by the battalion commander. So we'd get sent on all these little uh, side quests and stuff like that. Like uh, ACOs taking fires and the scouts down to see if they can figure out where it's coming from. Stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. So, so we would get um, put on all these um, kind of like. Uh, you know, either like we'd be doing QRF or we'd be doing high value target stuff, uh, detainees, uh, snatch and grabs, um, security for our sniper teams, um, you know, 72 hour missions, um, just all sorts of uh, different things, uh, depending on what was needed. Uh, but, um, <clears throat> you know, and then like the dreaded um, patrol to contact, right, where it's just a go to <laughs> essentially just drive around. Yeah. So you yeah, recon to contact, like, yeah. basically. Which yeah. is just for those of you who don't know, you just drive around until you get blown up or you get, you know, ambushed yeah. from rooftops or, you know, whatever it is. So it's like, um, you know, you, I remember the first couple missions, uh, how nervous I, I really was to be in the air guard hatch. Cause at that time, um, we didn't have any kind of up armored strikers except for like the bird cages on the side yeah, the chicken chicken cage or whatever right and we would get blown up once or twice and then we're like we are just so exposed like basically from you know you you can hide in the air guard hatch right but there's no so we started putting sandbags and then we went down to our um went down to our mechanics and see if they had any sheet metal lying around so we had like half inch um steel plates that we started welding onto our strikers to to give us more uh protection right and support um so that was kind of like a interesting phenomena that ended up happening was we just kind of took it in our own our own hands to start um building up our strikers and like dudes were welding you know um cages around the tcs and and um trying to just protect ourselves and um so once we started getting more used to it Um, getting attacked and ambushed and um, different things like that. Um, you kind of settle into the understanding that you probably not going to make it out um, alive. And if you do, um, you should be, you know, considering yourself pretty lucky. Mm-hmm. I was making a note because the thing that blows my mind is our vehicles became your guys' vehicles too. Yeah. And, and that was, it's funny because like you guys came up with some solutions to like literally every single mission that you were talking about was the same shit we were doing where, you know, like those of you who don't know what recon's primary job is, is you're supposed to usually kick out anywhere from like a day or a couple days ahead of your battalion. And you're supposed to be the eyes and ears of the battalion. 
You're not supposed to be getting in firefights. You're not really supposed to be seen in contact. You're not supposed to be seen. You're literally supposed to be the ghost. Like you're supposed like, to be out there and no one knows that you're there. High stakes, and, hide and seek. Yeah. Yeah. High stake, <laughs> hide, and, hide and seek. Exactly. And we would constantly get tasked out too for, for snatch and grabs, which blew, blew my mind because I was like, are we a line unit or are we a recon unit? But I mean, like, I'm not going to turn down a raid at the same time when yeah. I'm 21 years old and all I want to do is <laughs> all you have insurgents. is male yeah. testosterone pumping through you. Yeah, you exactly. <laughs> exactly. But it, it's funny because like we were QRF as well. Um, they would send us out on the vehicles to see if we could draw contact. They would send us out on foot to see if we could draw contact. They would have us go shoot at things to see if we could draw contact. <laughs> like it, it's just, I'm sorry. Like this entire time we're talking, like I just like keep like thinking like, holy shit. Like you literally had to do the same shit yeah. as I had to do. And, and you're like, when you told Austin, the reason why I got out was one was enough. I got out as well. And then I got fucking recalled like three years yeah. later to go to Afghanistan. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I lucked out on that uh, for sure. But also you have to like, you know, thinking about it too. Um, a lot of my buddies got, that's when they were uh, stop lossing people, mm -hmm. right? They're just pausing people's contracts and yeah. You know, sending, Rob. <laughs> yeah. Sending them back over. Um, mm -hmm. But the deployment itself was uh, pretty challenging, right? We had the first democratic elections where, yeah, um, you know, we had to pull security, you know, we had a sniper uh, position, uh, overwatch over polling stations and, and pulling security for that. And then um, some of the, the major challenges were um, we've lost uh, our platoon sergeant was killed in action and one of our squad leaders was killed in action um, pretty close uh, to each other. And I took uh, RPG shrapnel to the head. Um, got knocked unconscious, didn't get a new helmet, nothing. You know, they're just kind of like, glad you're still alive. Like, it's like yeah, <laughs> here's it'll, your it'll still work. go back out there. Like, yeah, I, I literally had to like uh, pin, pin the, uh, find some bobby pins and just pin the cloth back on my. <laughs> and then it'll still work. <laughs> yeah, it's just a little cracked. It's okay. Yeah. Uh, but um, so it's like, you know, it gets, it gets real, real quick when um, you're faced with those challenges, especially being, um, a young platoon and then losing the leadership um, that you trained with. And that has been kind of like, uh, they're almost like father figures, right? Because it's just mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. they're the ones who are disseminating the orders and making sure that everyone's okay. And then you um, lose your platoon sergeant. And then a few, uh, you know, within, I think a month, uh, we lost our, one of our squad leaders as well, um, both during ambushes, right? So it was never, um, I think I can count on one hand how many times we actually got into firefights with um, uh, insurgents, right? Mm -hmm. But um, there were usually um, real quick hits, you know, whether it was an IED in the road and then ambushed from rooftop, um, which was um, where we lost our, one of our squad leaders. And then the other one was a rocket attack. So they were, um, you know, it's all, um, you know, the military, we use humor to really kind of cope with the, uh, the stress of the situations. Right. Um, so it's like, you know, we're laughing at stuff that most people would be horrified. Dark humor is the best, best thing. Yeah. It's like the yeah. only thing that really kind of gets you through it. Um, and to be able to, um, alleviate some of that pressure of the seriousness of the situations that you're in. Yeah. 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 I, 
I lost my squad leader from my line unit mm-hmm. um, when we were like three weeks away from redeploying and back. And it's just, it's one of those things that, and we had other people that got hurt and we had other um, casualties within the battalion yeah, and guys I knew. And it, and it was just weird. Cause like, you know, when that stuff actually happened, like we, we had four guys die from like Bravo company on mm-hmm. our very first raid. Like as wow. soon as we got into Samara, which I think it's either South of Baghdad or North of it. Cause we had to, we had to fight our way up to Missoula. Right. Like we had to work our way up to Missoula and we got in a, a lot of firefights on the way up there. There was a lot of resistance. There was a lot of like, like Missoula didn't exist until we actually got there and established it. And right. <clears throat> it was just one of those things that like someone died, we'd have their funeral and we would just like keep going. And yeah. no one, no one like processed it until no. like, we got back and like we saw the families and shit like that. And it's just, yeah, it's no, no one really tells you uh, about the process of that and what that looks like. Yeah. It's like you have a quote unquote funeral, which is just like, you know, you have an hour or so set aside where the, you can have visitation. Then there's like a little ceremony um, with the boots and you see a lot of pictures of that kind of stuff. But Mm -hmm. then basically for us they're like we're going to give you 48 hours off so you don't go out and retaliate or anything like that right so it wasn't like we want you to process it's like we don't want you to like go out and cause major damage because you guys are uh you just lost um, yeah you're upset right yeah so they um i remember they uh a chaplain came in and they sat us we were all in our whole platoon was like in a half circle and a chaplain came in and then a uh medic or a psychologist officer came in and basically said, Hey, if you guys are having trouble sleeping, we have sleeping pills and like, you know, stuff that we can give you. And then one of my, my team leader, was the answer? my team leader at the time picked up a folding chair and he just like chucked it across the room. He's like, one of our friends just died and you were like offering us sleeping pills. Like you're just, offering us ambient. Yeah. Like, yeah. And, and basically the most addictive mm-hmm. fucking drug out the there for sleeping. Yeah. Yeah. That was the end of that meeting. Right. So it um no one really talks about that process or how um um readily available drugs you know medications were right so we had we had dudes that were on like muscle relaxed muscle relaxers anxiety medications because like Mm -hmm. you know you go into a doc and just be like hey what do you got (laughs) like so it's anything to keep the mission going yeah, exactly. So um, there's a lot of that in the background. And then um, no one really tells you what it's like to go home and then face um, their families, right? Um, and face uh, their children and be with them. And you can't say exactly what happened, even though you saw what happened. Uh, mm. uh, but you have to just uh, be there with them. Um, and they're... Uh, you know, so lost, uh, what, you know, the, the loss is so great. Um, and you don't really, it doesn't really sink in. Um, cause you don't have time to process it in the, in, during the t- deployment. Mm. Yeah. And then, you know, how, how quickly, uh, how quickly did you get out when you got back? Did you have time left on your contract or I, <clears throat> 
I started out processing as soon as I could. Uh, pretty as soon much. as you got back, right? Uh, pretty pretty much. I think a couple months yeah. after getting back. Yeah. I remember there was like a span of time where it was just kind of like lawless, where everyone was just trying, like people were going on leave and, you know, yeah. it was new guys coming in and like big transitions. They uh, were like splitting up platoons and like, you know, kicking people out to different places. And like, it was uh, a challenging time. And I remember um, uh, just trying to, you know, go to all my appointments and get out and they're like, Hey, we got a PT test coming up. And I was like, no, no, no. Like I'm, I'm out. Of, like, I'm I'm out. like, did, let did, the, did like, the thought of reenlisting ever go through your head? Yeah. Yeah. I definitely thought about it. Um, yeah. And a lot of my friends already knew when they got back that they had a choice of mm. uh, um, going back or going with a new unit. So a lot of guys just jumped right into another deployment because they know that they were going to go anyways. And they might as well go back to Mosul where they were familiar with um, the terrain and the city and the territory and stuff like that. So there's a there's a lot of another thing that's not really talked about is uh, shame and guilt around survival, you know, survivor's guilt. Survivor's right? guilt. Yeah. 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 And being like all my friends that I, that I fought with, that I fought alongside with are going back. Um, and I'm not right. And mm. I made a choice to get out and I feel like I'm letting my friends down. And um, I don't know if I'd be able to forgive myself if one of them, you know, died in combat while I'm here, like, I'm going to go to college and, you know, all these, you know, get yeah. out, do all these different things. Um, but there's a lot of um, kind of guilt and shame around um, just making it through, making it through that um, situation when um, friends that you served with didn't. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then, and then you come back like, so when I got out, I went back to Florida and I was so far removed from anyone that was in the military that was currently serving. Like I was going to college and I, I just felt, I felt alone. I felt upset. I started processing it. I had a lot of survivor's guilt because, you know, my friends that died overseas on the initial deployment. And then like, same thing that you said, like we had guys that immediately went because they either re-enlisted, jumped units, whatever, or like our unit, like basically hung out at Fort Lewis for a year and then they redeployed. Right. And so and a couple of those guys died on that deployment. So like it, like to this day, like it fucks with my head, but not on the level where it's, it's debilitating. It's just, it's, it's almost like the military didn't prepare us for what we got into. If that makes sense. Like there was, well, yeah, they don't prepare for the afterwards. They just prepare. Yeah, you they for prepare like, what, what you're going to do there. They never prepare you for what's going to happen after you get home. Yeah, and then when the, you get out, it's like, here's, here's this drug. Here's that. Here's some drugs. How oh, you're, yeah. Here's some oh, Ambien. You, you can sleep, sleep well. Yeah. <laughs> one I, was, I was addicted to Ambien for fucking two years. Like one of the most challenging experiences that I had. Um, and again, this is like kind of the un, unheard of, um, um stories of casualties in the military um is after a platoon sergeant was killed in action um i walked into um our bathrooms and uh in in our bathroom was um one of our team leaders and he was cleaning off our platoon sergeant's uh kit 
right? So he had a toothbrush and he was just standing there sobbing, scrubbing um, off his uh, flak vest and all his uh, ammo pouches because you have to turn those in because that's government property, right? So no yeah. one talks about yeah. that. Like we have to clean out our vehicles after a casualty. No one talks about that and the yeah. impact that, that has um, on the platoon um, and, the, and the people that you served with, right? Um, so uh, it was a few weeks after and that was our second casualty, uh, our Sergeant Solo, who uh, ended up, um, you know, being shot in an ambush, right? So it was uh, a pretty challenging um, experience overall, a lot of loss, um, just a lot of, you know, war, you know, they say war is hell, right? Destruction. Um, you don't really know exactly why you're doing what you're doing in the bigger grand scheme of things, right? You're just running missions nonstop. Um, so it's just like, you're just trying to survive mission to mission. Exactly. <clears throat> yeah and then and then when you got how long before you got out did you realize you needed to do something to for a change it took me about two years <laughs> i'm a slow uh slow learner i guess i mean i mean but that's no fine. no that's and fine then in those like... two years because I mean, you mentioned like we'll, we'll get into it but you mentioned in the documentary like that you were just drinking to sleep like yeah you were just, you know, doing anything you could to, you know, get away from, you know, those flashbacks, those memories. And, you know, so how how did that all happen? Like, what made you decide to go from getting out to deciding to walk to, you know, Los Angeles? Yeah. So it was a, a big kind of drawn out process. Um, so I got out in 2006 and... Um, went back to Wisconsin where I'm from and it was just kind of like looking at all my peers, they're all graduating college, um, uh, getting, you know, starting their careers. And I just kind of felt like I was behind the curve as far as it, you know, uh, socially speaking. Um, and then you have this like tremendously horrific experience of war that you're carrying around with you that you can't really, um, explain to people, right? Uh, because not many people have that experience, that life experience. So it's hard to connect with people. So you end up isolating yourself even more because you tell yourself, no one's going to understand uh, my experience or what I went through. Um, so why, did, why even talk to anyone about it, right? So you start to internalize a lot of the uh, trauma and stress and things from the past that impact you right and that's why we get flat this is just my opinion this is just um, why we get flashbacks is it's like your system's trying to process this experience that it doesn't know how to process right so whether it be um you know ieds or um you know reacting to things that necessarily don't necessarily need um, a reaction like an example would be like i would be driving on a three-lane highway see a bag of trash on the road i'd get over as, as many lanes as i could Right. And doing that in Milwaukee. Right. Which is unnecessary. Right. There's no yeah. there's no threat there. But in my mind, yes. Right. Yes, there 100%. is. Right. Yes. So um, just trying to manage life. Right. With that all going around, uh, going on internally um, and, you know, um, basically using alcohol to um, uh, suppress that and also numb numb myself out essentially to be able to function um, in a, in a day-to-day -day thing. Right. So I was, you know, drinking five or six nights a week uh, pretty heavily um, to the point of blacking out 
uh, it was a pretty regular occurrence. And that was kind of my goal, right? I was like, I don't want to remember any of it, any of it, right? Um, so whatever I needed to do to just like, you know, maintain a job and uh, maintain okay relationship with my family, you know, by just checking in and stuff. But other than that, I was pretty uh, focused on drinking. Uh, which, that's normal. Like that's normal totally. for almost anybody who comes home. Yeah, totally. And uh, where I'm from, it's it's in the culture there, right? In Wisconsin, yeah. Drink, oh, yeah. Heavy drinking in Wisconsin, it's like you know people celebrate it. So it's like you can fly under the radar for a long time, and people just think you're a good drinker, right? <laughs> have no <Yep>. idea. <laughs> they have no idea suffering. Yeah, that that you you what you've seen, what you've witnessed, what you participated in, um, because you're not um, expressing expressing that. So um, I think the time between getting out. And um, asking or going in to see uh, uh, going into a vet center for the first time was about two years. And then I went through um, the VA. And at that time, they were just throwing medication at people. Right. So I was on five or six different medications. No one, you know, no one cross checks them to see if they're interacting with each other or anything like that. So the result is just kind of walking around life like a zombie. Right. Not feeling anything. You're just kind of dead to the world. and You're just kind of there which I felt was worse than feeling what I was feeling. Right. Um, so I ended up taking myself off of, uh, medications, uh, not recommended that you do that on your own. Right. So I had like pretty intense withdrawals from a lot of the stuff that I was on. Um, and between, uh, going to my first therapy session to walking across the country, um, you know, we ended up leaving in 2013. Right. So it's a big, big chunk of time. Um, where I was just kind of, uh, you know, say lost in the sauce, right? Just mm. really just drinking to get by. Okay. And yeah. where did the idea, where did that idea come from of walking? <clears throat> yeah. I mean, I got to the point of wanting to take my own life. I have, uh, we had two guys, um, that were in our plat platoon briefly, uh, died by suicide. And then we, um, lost our platoon leader, um, who, uh, I think he passed at the age of 37. Don't know if it was uh, suicide or not. Um, but it started, uh, becoming clear that, um, that option was becoming more enticing for me, you know, the longer that I just kind of sat in that space. Right. So starting to notice the patterns that I was in, which was, um, you know, going to school, I was in college at the time, I think I dropped out three or four times and just like, I was like, get myself together, get back into it, continue on. Um, and then just slowly start to slip back down into, you know, destroying relationships, dropping out of school, really hitting um, alcohol really hard and then pick myself back up and then get back into school. And then, you know, so I kept repeating these cycles and started noticing, that if I didn't do anything about it, um, I was going to probably end up uh, taking my own life. So it was really just having the choice of like, do I want to just continue doing this or I have to figure out something to um, change, right? Which is the hardest thing is, you know, if you don't, if you don't change, nothing changes, right? Um, so it has to be you that takes the first step um, to be able to say, hey, I don't want to feel this way anymore. I don't want to be doing this anymore. What am I doing? Uh, what, you know, what is my direction? What is my purpose? Why am I, you know, you just have to start asking yourself these really serious questions. Um, otherwise you just, 
life just uh, steam, continues to steamroll you unless you um, say, hey, I need to make some changes. And uh, my buddy that I served with um, lives in, at the time he lived in Santa Barbara, California, and he would call me in the dead of winter in Wisconsin where, you know, it'd be like negative 17 wind chill. And uh, he'd be like, yeah, I'm just wearing shorts, flip flops and chilling out here. Uh, and he would, keep, he would always invite me to come out and visit. And I just never um, either had the money or the uh, time or, you know, whatever it was, whatever excuse that I was making. And um, it came to me, I was in my uh, sister's apartment one one day and i was just like i think i'm gonna go uh visit my buddy and i'm gonna take some time and just walk uh trek out there and i didn't have any gear or anything because i think I, I tossed a lot of my stuff um getting out of the army so he sent me a rucksack and i told him i'd walk it back to him and, and that was uh, Emmett, right yeah that's my buddy Emmett, right and he was our uh, he was in our uh, one of our sniper teams and he, he mailed me out his rucksack and I, I told Anthony kind of my plan and what we're going to do. And he just said, Hey man, I'm in the same boat. Like we really need to like make some kind of change in our lives that um, is going to, um, you know, the whole idea behind it is like interrupting those cycles. Right. So interrupting the drinking cycles, interrupting these things that I've, that I grew accustomed to, to managing uh, my internal stress. So mm. this was the idea that, uh, hopefully would help us understand ourselves better, but also understand what we needed to do to start healing. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you got anything to add, Rob? We don't know there. Um, I was still looking for like album stuff. I, I got a couple things going on over here. Eventually. Um, I might have to step away for a sec to let Allie out, but, um, mm. Dude, like, Tom, I think I've never related to a guest so much before because we bring on a lot of people that either had similar – no, let me say it differently. I brought on a lot of people on the podcast who either have no combat experience, but, you know, they have some sort of, like, PTSD and stuff because one right. thing I've learned, especially on my, my second deployment, was was – nowhere as rough as my first um you know our worst day is what we perceive as our worst day because that's what the worst day is so that with that in mind someone that has combat experience whether it's low or high is going to interpret that as their worst day right right with that being said most guests we bring on and I'm not trying to say this in an egotistical manner. <laughs> they don't have the same level as combat experience. However, we have brought on people that have, and I've talked to Austin privately about this. We've had on guys who were in special operations, actual units, like above what you and I were doing yeah. and have levels of combat experience that I don't even understand. Right. But I've never had someone on, who and and i'm sure our experiences were were slightly different but it, it's it's just it's weird it's the same same time same place same yeah. mission, i mean same, it's a year yeah. apart same exact fucking job and like yeah all the things that you're saying like dude man like my first like two three years i couldn't even sleep I yeah. had to drink every fucking night sleep like that was the only way i could suppress the nightmares and 
Yeah, it's just just disassociating yourself as much as possible from the the feelings. Um, and that's normal for a lot of people to come back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's just and they don't talk. And like you no, said, Tom, you like, don't have don't anyone talk. to talk to. Exactly, right. and you don't want to be a burden and talk to somebody. And you know, right. yeah, they say they say you know they understand, but they don't because they they've never been through it. Like right. you know, and you don't want to be a burden to somebody and and talk right. to them because you know because yeah, they only say they understand so much. But it's not the same when you talk to somebody who you know has been through the same exact things, right. like you right. can relate to, and that's with that not only the military, that's with <coughs> anything. Like Rob's, we've had guests on that are amputees or that have been through other traumatic experiences, and it's just being around this, the people who have gone through the same things. Yeah, we had. Uh, it's funny because it's like really about the perspective that you have too, and we've had SF guys. Mm-hmm come up and be like, we do not envy you guys. You guys just roll around. We're like, we're direct action, right? We know what our mission, we know what we got to right, do. Right, yeah, we have one we target and that's yeah, it. it. <laughs> you guys just roll around and just get blown up and shot at uh, yeah. regularly on a daily basis, mm. right? So it's um, it's really the, you know, the perspective that you have um, around the, the experience itself that uh, really kind of shapes um, what you carry with you. Um, and it's it's not easy um, to be that isolated, right? Because you think about less than 1% of the population has served and even a smaller percentage of that population sees combat, right? So you're very, very isolated when you get out and there's there's that gap between DOD and VA, right? So you can just kind of be in that uh, gray area where it's just like, I'm just doing whatever I can to find some sense of comfort. And that's usually, um, you know, drinking, Right. Um, mm-hmm. I remember we would like, I was getting up to like, you know, an 18 pack of high life bottles, uh, pretty regularly. Like that was like, you know, I'd get that a couple of nights a week. Um, and like the times when I would stop drinking was I was like, cause I would give myself alcohol poisoning and I had to take mm-hmm. a few days off <laughs> and just not recognizing it. Right. Um, and just really risky behaviors on top of that, like mixing medication and drinking. And, um, just because I was on, uh, medications for, um, sleep uh, anxiety didn't mean I was um, curbing my drinking habits, right? So it was really right. kind of risky behavior um, compounding over time, right? Because ultimately, I didn't really um, care if I lived or died, right? Because I kind of left everything out on the battlefield, um, as they mm-hmm. say. And because of our training in the infantry, we see uh, asking for support or help as weakness, unfortunately. Oh, uh, yep. I mean, and that's, that's not even just military, though. That's right. just guys in general. Right. Like, we're taught that, like, you don't ask for help. You don't be vulnerable right. as guys because you don't want to be a burden. Yeah, right. you're, and you're a guy. Like, and that, that compounds your isolation, right? So that even adds more to the isolation because you're like, I need to deal with this on my own and mm-hmm. shoulder this load on my own. And mm-hmm. really uh, take up the brunt of it, right? Without asking for help, keeping my my head held high, my chest, you know, chest out. When really mm-hmm. internally, I am grasping at straws, right? I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, and the only thing that I have to manage that is alcohol, right? So it's just kind of a, a recipe for disaster. And you know, seeing friends. Um, uh, dying by suicide and then other friends having health complications too. Um, we know a lot about burn pit stuff that's happening right now. Oh, yeah. Huge. Um, 
knowing guys that ha have, you know, most of their intestines removed that have colostomy bags now because they were exposed to uh, toxic smoke. Um, I have a guy that in our headquarters company who uh, ended up passing in an autopsy, his intestines were all basically atrophied and had, 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 you know, stopped working um, totally. And he, that's how he ended up passing. So it's like, you start to see it around in your community. Um, you see it around other veterans and you're, it's, you're just kind of like waiting for that call, whether it's a friend or um, um, so that we just take this moment to say that you need to check in on your, on your people right oh a hundred percent and that's what we try to get at like it's okay to not be okay but you don't have to do it alone like you yeah. know it's okay to be vulnerable it's okay to ask for help and talk to people because even if people don't fully understand what you're going through like sometimes all you need is someone to listen to you like mm -hmm. so you can talk to somebody and you know the best thing you can also do is find other people. Like, even if it's a veteran that you have no idea who they are, right. most of the time they're still listening to you. Totally. You know, because yeah. because that they've been through the same things. You can go to some random random veteran stranger, and ninety percent of the time they'll probably listen to you. Yeah, yeah, and it's I encourage it, right? Oh yeah. Reaching out, um, connecting with uh, people you haven't talked to in years, just to see how everyone's. Just say, hey man, I'm just I'm just calling to check in see how you're doing, see how everything's going, even if it's not going well for them, right? The fact that mm. you, know, you reached out and you connected with them um, can shift things for people, right? And understanding oh, that yeah. they're not alone in this struggle. And we, I mean, you spend years by yourself thinking about how things could be different, um, how I could have done things differently, mm -hmm. right? Um, you know, why are my friends dead and why am i alive yeah. um, all these really challenging questions if you just sit with them that they, they eat you alive right over years so um to be able to um talk it through with someone that you trust or to be able to write it out or just get it out of your head right journaling is a really good exercise just to get it out of the head onto paper you don't need to share it with anyone you can burn it who cares right mm -hmm. but using that um, those strategies to be able to um, kind of almost like a, a pressure valve, right? To decompress from the day-to-day -day stress that we still suffer from past experience. Yeah, no, for sure, man. Um, but yeah, so after that, what's 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 getting into your more into your walk? Unless Rob has anything else he wants to add. No, I, I feel like we we definitely covered the Iraq stuff, and mm -hmm. and like it's. It's been awesome, even though it's so many years later. I mean, like it's been oh, a while, yeah. but you, st you but, still like, have the it's same. Still, like it's still fresh. It's it still is. Um, I'm gonna let you guys start talking on the the walk. I'm gonna go take care of Allie with a couple okay. things, and uh, yeah, go yeah, go yell at her and do all the things. No, I'm not gonna yell at her. Allie's my <laughs> service dog, by the way, who's very needy. She's been at she my is. office for 11 hours today, and she's pissed off because we didn't oh, go on a walk geez. or do anything fun. So I'll let you guys talk. Yeah, all right, man. No, yeah. So let's what let's get into so your walk. You. Like I said, you wanted to do something to, you know, get out of your something, get out of your head, something for a change. And and I think it's awesome that Anthony went with you because I'm sure it would have been 10 times harder if you did it by yourself. Right. I don't even know if I would have finished it. Yeah. Oh, I'm no. I mean, I can tell you by now if I would, I wouldn't have done it by myself. You don't have anybody to talk to. Like, who are you going to talk to? Like, yourself? Yeah. 
yeah so we we really kind of like um we kind of uh, like just out of necessity it became the, a bigger thing than we had anticipated um we ended up doing a awareness campaign um, that ended up raising uh, some money for a nonprofit back in Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we did like, uh, you know, I remember Anthony was writing like press releases as we were walking. Like how, we're many interview, how many interviews did you do before you even started your walk? Oh, wow. Yeah, quite, quite a few. And then on the way as well, uh, there were, you know, people that would meet up with us, interview us. There were veterans that would meet, like reach out to us. I'm sure Anthony kind of talked about this quite a bit mm-hmm. too. Um, but, you know, everyone was, the majority of people were supportive. We had some, some vets that weren't um, too supportive. We had some, <laughs> some people reach out that said they were going to protest. Um, protest Why are you protesting though? I had, you know, you just get these emails every once in a while and you're like, what, what are, are you going to protest? You're going to protest that we're walking? But <laughs> we were, we were open to it, right? Because we were leaving um, Milwaukee and at the same time, you know, two veterans, trekking across the country, um, leaving for Milwaukee. And at that time, Harley Fest was going on in Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. So we're like, yeah, you can come protest all you want, man. Like that. <laughs> right. like, what's going to happen? Okay. Nothing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, um, and understanding that, like, you know, we had one vet that uh, I think was in our uh, battalion. And he, like, looked at us and he said, you know, you guys know what you signed up for. I don't know why you're making, you know, a big deal about this, right? And uh, for me... That just kind of uh, signals how much he was suffering, right? At that time, it's like you place. don't know what you signed up for. Like, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. you signed up to join the military, but like, yeah. you have the idea of the concept yeah. of war and what you think you're going to be doing, but in real time, right, two-way firing range, you don't know um, the impact that it's going to have on you, right? Mm-hmm. And it really, really tests your um, capacity to um, take on. Uh, suffering, right? Uh, ultimately. And that's the the challenging thing of it. So we ended up, you know, setting some ground rules around why we were doing it. And one of the big things we did was try to not listen to music while we were walking, right? Oh, really? Yeah. So we really wanted to take the time to be with ourselves and really process. We would uh, talk with each other. And because Anthony is like 6'3", and I'm like five nine, dude would like crush it. His stride was just like two of mine, right? <laughs> There'd be times where he would just like he's just like off, off to the races, uh, and I would be like, just go ahead. And then we so we'd have like uh, rules around if we lose eyesight uh, contact with each other, right? One person would wait until we made visual contact. Um, there was rules that we had like if uh, someone wanted to like uh, take us to which happened pretty regularly. Some people would want to take us out to dinner or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, even just getting into the vehicle, we'd have kind of a, a operating procedure where it's like, I put my bag in and then Anthony would wait and I would wait till I got fully into the car before he would put his bag in. Right. Cause we were just, you know, you feel like a soft target out there, right? You don't have, you know, yeah. Make sure you don't get kidnapped or yeah, something. someone, someone steals your bags. Like you, like sometimes we would like in the Mojave desert, you can like see for 90, hundred miles. Right. So I'm like, okay, we have like four days of walking ahead of us before we're going to see anyone. So it's just like, you really don't, uh, you really have to take those kind of precautions. Um, so we had all these little, you know, systems in place that really helped us, I think, um, in, in the long run, we didn't run into, into any like, um, crazy two crazy situations where we felt we were in danger it was more of just like you know weird characters well, and, and you and you guys did have like you know protection on you 
Yeah. Like just in case, like something, you know, something did go down, you know, it's not like you guys are out there with just your fisticuffs and, you know. No. Yeah. We, yeah, we, we were uh, concealed carrying the whole way, which is, you know, gave us another layer of protection. Um, Especially when you're walking, like you, you, especially at night, you you don't know what's going to happen or, you know, and especially with like wild animals too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, you don't know what you're going to run into, um, especially, you know, and we traveled basically all on country roads and um, country highways, frontage roads. Uh, so we were in uh, some some pretty natural environments where uh, we were camping, you know, camping in the evenings and, and we just had to, uh, you know, find the safest places that we could. Well, and even back then, I mean, smartphones and technology wasn't nearly what it is today. Right. Like, yeah, yeah, there would be times when we would use like Google Maps in Iowa. And for those that are listening, Iowa has nine, 99 counties and they're all on a grid, geez. on a grid square. Right. So there'd 99, be times, 99 counties in Iowa. I believe so. Yeah. I believe that's geez. the number something crazy like that. So we would uh, be following Google, Google Maps, and we'd be walking down a country road in Iowa and uh, we timed it perfectly for harvest uh like the soybean and corn harvest right so you have semi trucks flying by us going like you know 45 50 miles an hour kicking up dust and like anthony would would just be raging because we'd be getting hit hit with rocks and like we're getting just covered in dust and we're like sweaty and it sucks and these guys didn't care that we were there because they're getting paid by the truckload right Mm. so um we were just, uh, we were following Google Maps and we came to like a dead end and Google Maps said it went through. Um, but like, if you make a mistake like that, uh, what we ended up having to do is walk back a mile, you go up a mile and then you go over a mile and then to find the parallel road running running with that. So like you make a mistake like that, it's a, you know, a two hour detour basically you know walking so there'd be times where we would get real frustrated or turned around i think in waterloo iowa we got turned around a couple times with google maps and uh so there there's some frustrating times in the beginning but once we got i think into eastern colorado um and we could see kind of the rockies in the distance and see how much progress we actually made um that was kind of our halfway point uh but up until then wisconsin iowa nebraska it took us a whole month to walk across nebraska and um you know it was just corn fields and soybean fields the whole way so it was pretty uh challenging and so wisconsin was the one of the hardest states right because we knew all the uh, mile markers and all the towns and you know how far everything mm-hmm. is from everything right and once we got into iowa there's no like really knowing um where things were, what towns were what, right? So it's kind of the, uh, we were just able to kind of move uh, from that point. I don't know if Austin has this already, but um, what were you guys using to guide your route? So we did um, backwards planning, of course, right? So we started with, uh, I started in LA and then planned backwards towards, so we had paper maps with us, Basically, every state that we went into, we grabbed a paper map, um, but we did use uh, our smartphones most of the time. Uh, mm-hmm. But there are a few times when we were out of service area yeah. where we'd have to rely on paper maps and stuff like that. But usually uh, we would just go town to town, which was, you know, you're not deviating too much 
um, from there. But we had a we had a route planned, and there was only a few times where we had to um, go off that route. Which one time in Nebraska, we 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 dipped south because we heard that there were uh, cold snap happened, and there were cows frozen in place. And we're like, we are not <laughs> messing around. <laughs> like we we started this. We're like, we're not we're not trying to be tough guys here. We're just trying to like do this for ourselves, raise some uh, awareness around post-traumatic stress and veterans issues and um, do a fundraiser and stuff like that. So we're like, I'm not, we're not trying to be a tough guy and like, you know, sleeping outside every night. Um, uh, and we only did that when we had to, right? Uh, when yeah. we didn't have a choice. But for the most part, there's so many people, uh, supporters that we're incredibly grateful for that uh, came out of the woodwork to support us. And I don't know that we would have been able to finish it if we didn't have community support that we did. And that's awesome because like social media wasn't as big as it is now. Like, I feel like, I feel like someone that would do that now would be able to get more support behind it in a quicker mm -hmm. way. Whereas a lot of it was like probably word by mouth and Facebook sharing and what type of iPhones are like, what, which phone was out then? Oh man, like I don't know. Four, iPhone four, iPhone six. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, that was 2013, so. Yeah, I mean. Couldn't be that new of an iPhone. No, so. no. And, um, you know, the service was, you know, hit or miss, but I think hit we, or both, miss. Yeah. we had different providers. So I think, you know, it, we, it ended up working out pretty well that, uh, there's only a few, few times where, uh, we had some technology issues with tracking and stuff like that. But, um, you know, we had everything as far as like, uh, emergency transponder on us that kind of tracked our, um, our um, location, right? And we had that kind of set up on our, our website. They're like little spot GPS things that you can throw in your bag. Yep. Uh, that just just if you need, we needed some kind of support um, in, you know, walking through the middle of nowhere. Um, we had an emergency um, capability if we needed it, right? Yeah. And you guys were doing like in between 10 to 20 miles a day, like 10 on low end, 20 on the high end or... Our goal was 10 a day, um, and that was to finish it in the time frame allotted. Um, sometimes that didn't work out. Sometimes that um, we'd have to take a few days off in a row just because our feet were so beat. Um, mm -hmm. and they were to the point, I don't know if Anthony talked about um, his his foot, uh, but at some point. It was in the documentary, the photo of the what they huge don't, what they don't. blister. It was basically, like I would say, um, half his foot. Uh, and what they don't really show in the documentary is that he wears size 16 double E shoes. So it was just like this, like his massive wound, um, on his foot to the point of where it was like a blister inside of a blister. And we're just kind of like, we don't even, he's like, I don't even know how to, what to do with this. Right. So you get to the point of, um, you're walking that much day in and day out over the counter stuff. Doesn't really do it. You know, the Dr. Scholl stuff doesn't really do it. You know, people are just giving ibuprofen and new socks, right? ibuprofen duct tape right we found out that duct tape works really well you put a band-aid yep. on and then slap some duct tape over that and then the actual um, outside of the duct tape um, is slippery on on sock right so you don't have any friction happening um, on that point so that was our fix so we we're just duct taping our feet up essentially um, the majority of the way yeah yeah that's that's crazy and then um uh, I saw in the documentary and this you know, struck home to me, literally. <laughs> I saw it. Um, so 
I guess you had family come visit you when you were in Flagstaff and then you guys made it out to the Grand Canyon. And I thought that was pretty cool. And what was like, what was that like morale wise? Cause I mean, at that point you're, you're over your halfway point. You're in Arizona. Flagstaff had to be a trip because of the fact that you think of Arizona as like this non snowy winter place. And then you're at 7,000 feet. Yeah. And in the middle of Christmas time, too. So there's probably either snow on the ground or cold temperatures. So explain what that was like. Yeah, we when we first started, we had our rucks were probably like 90 pounds. Mm-hmm. And then on day two, we kind of pared that down to they're probably like 50 or 60. So immediately we're like, okay, we don't need um, yeah. all this. We had like cold weather gear. We were just basically carrying everything on us that we thought we needed for the the duration of the track, the change of the season, because we didn't think we were going to get support, right? The, the support that we did, but we were able to basically pare down our rucks to the point of, okay, we're not going to need cold, cold weather gear until, you know, we get to uh, New Mexico essentially. Um, so getting into Flagstaff, which I, you know, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful place. I really enjoy Flagstaff. It's one of my, uh, one of my favorite places uh, to visit now. And uh, just, um, the cold didn't bother us too much. It was kind of a relief, right? Uh, because we were facing super hot temperatures, uh, Wisconsin, Iowa, Nebraska, mm-hmm. really hot and humid, which was really challenging to do. So now we were just, you know, we, we could afford to have a couple layers on and just, you know, pop a layer off if we were getting too hot and have nice, cool temperatures to kind of move in. So I think we did a lot uh, better on the second half. But the thing that ends up happening is, in the beginning, mentally, you're really in it. You're like, I'm, you know, we're doing this and we're executing. And then your body's like, what's going on? Right. We didn't really do much training for it. Um, and you know, that was a mistake, but we just went through with it anyways. Um, and then when we got halfway done and Anthony really articulates this pretty well, is that like, he felt that mentally he had really picked up some things that he wanted to try and execute. And he was like really missing home. And, uh, you know, at that time, his daughter, I think was one, uh, mm-hmm. or just turned two uh, while he was gone. And so he's like, you know, I want to be, able, I think I've found how to be a better father, how to be a better husband, things that I can work on. Um, and he wants to like put those into practice. Right. But problem is mm-hmm. we're in Colorado. Uh, yeah. And then, and then at that time, our bodies had adapted to walking that much. So like our bodies, like first thing in the morning, we're like, let's get up and move. Right. And then mentally, you're like, oh, I want to be done with this. Right. So it was kind of a switch uh, that ended up happening. But, to, you know, to go back to what Austin was talking about earlier is that if Anthony didn't come on that track, um, I don't know that I would have been able to finish it um, just from the standpoint of we were both there to be able to pick each other up when we were having down dates, right? There's days where we're just like, I do not want to be, um, I don't want to be walking right now. Right. It's just like, I want to be done with this. Um, and we had a documentary film crew following us around filming us right on top of it. Right. So it's just like, I don't want to be filmed right now. (laughs) Like, so you're having all these like things that are going on, uh, internally that you're struggling with. Um, you know, I'm supposed to be healing right now. I don't even know what that looks like. Um, I don't know what the outcome's supposed to be. Um, but I knew that uh, just walking and just moving and, uh, you know, taking those steps were the most important part. Yeah. And one thing I wanted to ask, um, 
in the documentary, you, from my perception of watching and talking to Anthony last week, it felt like you, you were there and you were, you were getting it done, but it felt like Anthony definitely was talking to the cameras a lot. What, what was your mind frame at when the documentary people were there? Was it, was it frustrating for you? Did you just not want to like go into details? I think you're just con really conscious that you're being filmed. Right. And on top of that, um, I didn't really know what I was supposed to be talking about or, you know, X, like I, I was a very kind of introverted person just to begin with. Uh, yeah. But, and Anthony's the exact opposite, right? He's just like, exactly. Explain to you exactly uh, what's going on with me, how I got to that conclusion and what I think I'm going to learn from it. Right. So he's very like structured in, in the way that he speaks, his storytelling, all that kind of stuff. And that's just not my, my personality or wasn't at that time. Right. Cause I was pretty mm -hmm. locked up tight about my experiences and, um, you know, one of the things that we talk about and Anthony kind of talked about in the documentary was building trust um, as a veteran. Mm -hmm. And that's something uh, that's linked to, I think, a lot of war trauma is that you don't have the ability to trust people uh, in a combat zone. So that really kind of in, in, impresses on you when you come home and you're now in the civilian world and you're like, who can I trust? Right. I used to be able to trust the person to the left or the right of me in a combat situation. Now I don't have anyone. Um, how am I going to build trust with people when I don't, uh, I don't have the luxury of trusting people in a combat zone. So I think going into the track, I still had that mentality of like, I can talk to Anthony, you know, very freely and openly. And, uh, when I'm interviewed in the interview setting, and it kind of comes through in the documentary, like sitting down and just talking, and I can answer questions if you're just asking me the right questions. Um, but I'm not like, uh, I'm not um, just talking stuff out essentially. Right. So that I think really came through uh, in the documentary about the internal struggles that I was going through at the time with trying to figure out <clears throat> what, what am I doing? Right. How am I, how am I supposed to heal? Like, I don't yeah. know. Like I'm, I'm out here um, not really knowing what I'm supposed to be doing or what healing even looks like. And I think a lot of veterans get into that situation um, uh, like for drinking example, for example, drinking, right? Like, what does it look like? What does my life look like if alcohol is not involved in my life? Right. What does it yeah. even look like? Like, how do I even begin mm -hmm. or take the steps or, um, and that's you know, the hardest part is taking those first steps. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, you know, the, the trek for me really kind of highlighted that where it's like, I didn't know what I was doing, how I was going to do it or what it was supposed to look like, or, you know, how much I was supposed to be talking about it or any of that stuff. But I knew that just moving in that direction and things uh, unfold as you start to move. Right. So you make that decision that, yeah, I'm going to go talk to someone. I don't know what, I, you know, what that looks like, or it's an uncomfortable experience to share with a third party for sure. But at the same time, understanding that like, I can't continue on this way, right? It's not a sustainable way for me to live my life. And I don't want to live my life. Um, you know, I want to live my life to the fullest uh, extent. And that's how I uh, need to honor my friends that pass, right? It's like, they don't get to live anymore. So like, I have to use this opportunity to live my life to the fullest to honor them. 
um, to honor them with, you know, my life and my service that I continue to do uh, through um, helping, you know, veterans and, and whatever it might be. Uh, but really just um, being open and receptive uh, to what, you know, could potentially be something that, that can help you uh, move forward. And the trek really helped us, I think, one, build trust, going back to that, and trust not only in the community, but trust in ourselves to, to really uh, believe that what we were doing was going to yield results for us, regardless if we didn't know what that looked like. Mm -hmm. And then what was your, those last, so at the end, the last seven miles, when you met up with Emmett and everybody, what was going through your mind at that point when you only had the seven miles to go? Yeah, that was like a big production <clears throat> because it's like the other thing about the documentary that people don't know is that when they weren't filming us, they were back home filming our families and interviewing our families and talking to our right, families. Right? So yeah, so it's always like on the uh, in the back of your mind that, you know, I don't know what you know, people are saying about me, it's going to be recorded. So you're like kind of stressing about that. And then on the last day, there were seven miles. So there's like, you know, we had to set up like, uh, um, you know, meeting Emmett and then walking the last seven miles. So it's kind of a big production around it. And we just wanted to be done. We we're just like, right, right, I don't care. Just <laughs> you, you, look at, you look at our faces. <laughs> it's funny. You look at the beginning of the uh, documentary and at the end, Right. We have like huge beards and we're just like fried from the sun because we had to walk through Mojave Desert. Right. So we're just mm -hmm. like just crusty and ready to be done. Uh, <laughs> so it's like a, uh, uh, we're kind of over it. Right. Kind of the over the fanfare and the production. And it's like, yeah, we uh, accomplished this. But also it showed me that it's like, yeah, I did this trek across the country. But internally, there is definitely um, work that I still had to do. Right. So it really highlighted that like I needed to focus my attention uh, and energy on trying to heal myself and trying to resolve these past issues. And I say the the main takeaways that I got were um, resolving the death of my friends in the sense that, you know, I came to the realization that, you know, there was nothing that I could have done those days that, um, would have made the outcome any different, right? My platoon sergeant was killed in action. I was given the day off, right? There was like four of us that got the day off. It rarely happened. And when you do have those days, you want to ma maximize them up, right? So you go to the mm -hmm. chow hall, you go to the gym, you know, you do all the things that you're not able to do on a regular basis. And then you find out one of your friends was killed and then you weren't there. Um, and that was really impactful for me, right? So I spent so many years of what could have been different. How could I have um, done something differently to change the outcome of that day. And then coming to the realization that there's nothing that I could have done, um, that day. And that's how it played out. And I have to be able to accept that, um, that's how it, that's how it happened. Right. And accepting that fact was something that was really challenging for me to do. And yeah, Oh, sorry. Um, but yeah, I was gonna say, yeah, because like I said, at the end of it, you can tell, like, especially in the documentary that like Anthony had his perspective perspective changed. Like he, whereas you, like you, you didn't exactly find what you're looking for. Like you, you, you set up this journey to accomplish these things and what well, you changed as a, you know, changed, but there's still, like you said, certain, certain things you still had to battle. Right. Yeah. And we both went in with kind of different intentions, right? So Anthony went in 
wanting to be a better father, a better husband, uh, you know, really establishing uh, a better connection with his family. And I went in wanting to resolve the death of my friends, right? Which was, so there's two different um, kind of processes happening, but we were able to support each other, you know, through that process. So, you know, when I got to the end, I was like, yeah, I have this realization of, you know, I can't change anything from the past. There's nothing that I can do right now in this moment to change what had happened that day um, or those days. So that was a big revelation, but it also left me that I didn't grieve for their loss. You know, I didn't uh, take the time to really process um, the impact that it had, uh, just my, you know, the deployment in general, what it has on your body and nervous system and how it, how it uh, is uh, really throws everything off, right? You know, sleep deprivation on a regular basis, um, <clears throat> really just beating yourself up. Um, you know, for years on end being in the military. So um, I always use the analogy. It's like you got a basket of rocks, right? And these are these rocks are these uh, past impressions. And I was able to take two really big, uh, two big rocks out of that basket, right? With the death of my friends and really saying like, you know, I, 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 I have a better understanding of, of the situations and my role and position in them, but I'm still stuck with a basket of rocks, which is of all the other impressions and stuff, mm-hmm. um, events, uh, missions, um, uh, drinking situations, all those different things that I hadn't processed yet, or that I was ignoring because I didn't have the understanding or the capacity to process them at the time. Right. So what it really did for me was understand, give me a better understanding of like how much healing I actually had to do. Right. And um, not lying to myself, uh, being honest and truthful and transparent with myself about uh, where I need help, where I need support. And um, it really dawned on me that I had no tools, uh, healthy coping mechanisms really to manage stress, right? Which it comes down to, you know, everyone talks about post-traumatic stress, but really it's like, well, how are we dealing with stress in, in a general way? Drinking. Yeah. And in the military, what is drinking and physical punishment, essentially, right? So you're just like, you're either, you know, um, those are the two, two uh, things that you're dealing with. So I'm like, I don't have any kind of like tools or skills. Uh, No one really has taught me how to manage stress. Um, I think it's a thing that kind of eludes a lot of us, um, you know, people who aren't in the military, right? So it's it's a big Mm -hmm a problem that we that we have that from a very early age we're not really taught how to manage our stress in a healthy way um, and then we're just kind of left to our own devices to figure it out on ourselves and you know we just do what brings some kind of comfort to the suffering that we're experiencing yeah no definitely and then um no, I mean, like I said, stress is big for whether you're in or out of the military. Yeah. Like everybody experiences stress. I mean, everybody deals with stress. Um, and like you said, most people just find something that works for them and does it, no matter if it's good, bad, or indifferent for them. Right. Like they just do it. Um, right. And then let's, let's get into, so, because you, the thing that did change you was the class that you took afterwards. Yeah. So, so how did you find about that class? Like, um why that class right so there was a uh uh so for people listening it's a breath-based meditation class 
and there was an instructor that was walking with us the last seven miles uh, of our track and offered to uh, wanted us to come out to a retreat that they were having. And, and, you know, if you would have asked me before going on the track, I would have said, there's no way, you know, you would catch <laughs> me in a meditation class or breathing or any, any of that stuff. Right. Um, but I came to the realization that like, <clears throat> it doesn't matter what I look like when I'm trying to do this. Right. Cause trekking across the country just kind of cracked me open into the sense that like, I'm just trying to figure out how, how to feel better. Like no one ever taught me <clears throat> how to manage stress. Military definitely doesn't teach you how to manage stress well or how in a, in a healthy way. <clears throat> so I'm like, I, you know, this is an opportunity that makes me feel uncomfortable. And when Anthony and I were, you know, setting our goals, that's kind of like our uh, MO is you got to set a goal that makes you a little bit uncomfortable, right? It's got to push your boundaries a little bit. Um, and maybe that's just me, but like, it just wanted to to push my boundaries around this because what I was doing up until that point wasn't yielding the results I wanted. Right. Um, so I'm like, oh, well, I got to tr start trying everything that I can to be able to say that at least I tried, right. At least I put the effort in, at least I experienced it. And then if it doesn't work for me, I'll find something else. But <clears throat> I think we get caught in this trap of, I go seek help. It doesn't work or it doesn't, it's not, what I thought it was going to be. And then I'm like, none of this stuff works. Right. So we kind of throw, throw everything out instead of saying that this specific thing didn't resonate with me, but I still need to find uh, search for something that um, that does. Right. Cause I need to find something to manage the stress in my life. And this opportunity came where I was able to spend, <clears throat> I think four or five days um, at, a, at a retreat with other veterans, just learning uh, different breath-based uh, breathing techniques that were designed to manage stress. And the nice thing about these uh, strategies is once you learn them, no one can take them away from you, right? So it's something that then I was trained in that I could use on a regular basis to be able to say, hey, you know, I'm stressed out right now. So I'm going to use some of these breathing techniques just to be able to um, like shave the edges off the emotions that I'm feeling, right? Um, I, I jokingly say it takes you from a seven to a four, right? It's not going to fix the issue, right? The, the deeper issue, but it is going to help you um, move through the challenge that you're facing in that moment, right? By, by making it a little less intense for you. You got anything to add, Rob? No, I just, I mean, that was the most interesting part of the video for me on your like, I don't want to call you a character because like, you know, you're a real human. <laughs> yeah. But it, it was just um, for me, like at a certain point, like I could tell that you were you and correct me if I'm wrong, but I felt like you were going through the motions. You were there to finish. That was your job. You were there to finish. And um, Anthony was kind of like telling us how he felt every single day. Right. And I felt like it was it was causing you stress. And then you get back, you go to this class and all of a sudden it's like a light switch happened. Like yeah. it, it ignited a fire in you. And like it, it ignited you to the point where I was like, we need to get him on the podcast like next week. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, and, and that's why like Austin started reaching out to you. That's why I, I tagged you like, 
uh, dude. And another thing, like I want to shout out your documentary. Um, uh, Austin, remind me of the name. I'm an idiot right now. I yeah, can't almost believe sunrise. I almost sunrise. Almost yeah. sunrise. Thank you. I cried probably like four or five times during it just because like, I felt like I knew your pain. Yeah. It hits and, home. <laughs> yeah. It hit home like on a personal level to a level that I can't explain. And I was like, we need to get Tom on next week, do whatever you can to reach out to him yeah. and get him on next week. Like, I think this will be good. So my thing for you was like watching that switch into like who you are post post the or the end of the documentary and then like going and finding you on social media because anthony didn't give us any of your contact stuff like i just went and found you right and i was like holy shit like he went all in on the thing that changed him yeah so like what catch us up if you want on like what that looked like like after the documentary so I took a, like I was saying, it was like a five-day retreat. Um, mm-hmm. And then I, at the, the end of this retreat, they basically said, now you have a home practice. Um, so there's, you know, a breathing sequence that you do, and then you sit for a 10, 20-minute meditation um, after, after you do these breathing exercises, right? So I had such a, a, sh- a shift during the course and I think, again, what it what it comes down to is it's like, what is bringing you rest in your life, right? You really have to do kind of a, um, I don't want to be cheesy and say a layout, right? <laughs> but you really have to assess, right? What's going on in your life? Where are you putting your energy? What are you putting your energy into? And is that bringing me rest? Is it bringing me peace, right? Is it bringing me um, any kind of solace or or comfort or, you know, whatever it is? And you have to examine all that stuff, right? So up until that point, I didn't have anything that was bringing me rest. I didn't have anything that was giving me uh, a sense of contentment or peace or um, being centered uh, in myself, right? So that's why I look, that's the way I look at meditation, uh, breath work, all these things. I look at them from a very practical standpoint, right? So if I can incorporate uh, 10, 15 minutes of breathing exercises first thing in the day, and I know that that's going to center me, and I know it's going to put me in a position to where I am clear, and I'm able to take on the challenges of the day from a clear and centered place, like that's uh, an advantage, um, that I, that's, that I need to take, that I need to take, you know, every morning. Um, and, um, the, what I ended up doing was having this, you know, kind of profound shift of like, wow, this actually is, it helps me. Right. I found something that actually helps me. So I ended up volunteering for this, uh, organization. I, Anthony might've ch- talked about them a little bit, but they're called project welcome home troops. So they have a three, I think it's a three day, they do online stuff now, but it's a three day course where they'll teach you these breath based uh, uh, meditation techniques. And then at the end, you have your home practice. And I just started practicing every day, sometimes twice a day, uh, depending on if I was having a ba- you know a bad day or not, right? So I ended up doing that. I ended up, uh, I think 2014, I stopped drinking. Uh, so I was just like, all right, like I really need to get like what's going on. I need to get a handle on, on myself essentially and really understand what is going on and uh, what is not serving me um, anymore, right? What's not helping me? What's not bringing me rest? 
Um, and this was the beginning of that process. But I also started volunteering for the organization, organizing workshops and sharing it with other veterans that were open to trying something new, right? And then uh, I ended up working for this, uh, the organization that um, did this. So I was traveling around the country, organizing workshops for veterans and their families and just seeing the transformation and the shift that happens over three days just from learning uh, these breathing strategies and techniques and then um, incorporating them into your life, right, is, um, you know, it's up to you. All these all these things that you can learn, um, you know, the Wim Hof's a big one, right? And it's like, it's great, like, if you experience them, but like, if you incorporate them into your life, you will see the benefits that they have, right? It's not just like a one-off thing where I went to this event and then did some breathing techniques and yeah, it was great. Um, I really just said, you know, I'm going to find all the things that I can that are supportive of, of me, right? And that uplift me and that, um, that bring me a sense of clarity and peace and the things that I want, which is like, I think ultimately we all just want to be content in our lives, right? We all want to be settled, uh, kind of stress-free, as much as possible, right? Which is, you know, you can't always be stress-free all the time, right? But you can make that less so, right? If that makes sense. Yeah, no, it definitely makes sense. Um, and then, you, so, and then you started your own organization, correct? <clears throat> right. So because I've had such success with um, a lot of these strategies, I basically broke down into... Where did I have challenges going into this for the first time? Uh, where did I have challenges learning how to meditate? Um, no one really, you know, guides you into that. Into that, and they're just kind of like, you know, here's a technique. Go ahead, you know, go at it. And so it's like, you know, no one told me that, you know, I could sit like on a cushion or like I could have like back support. You know, so I'm like grinding through all this, and it's like unnecessary. A lot of it was unnecessary. <laughs> unnecessary, you know, come come to find out. So what I really wanted to do was, was offer um, some strategies that brought rest to um, veterans and their families, but, you know, the broader, you know, population um, mm. at large. And looking at, you know, the, the military population, uh, veteran population, one of the diver most diverse populations um, in, in the country, right? Um, we have people from all walks of life coming to join this organization that is um, the military. So if we can find practical, um, applicable uh, stress management tools for that population, then that can be um, offered out to the broader you know, population. Because we have all the, all the things, right, in this community, right? Whether it's um, post-traumatic stress, moral injury, um, addiction, domestic violence, suicide, all these problems um, exist within this, this small population um, that is the, the military. So if we can find really um, practical solutions to be able to address these things, um, I think we can find um, solutions to manage uh, stress overall, you know, for, for a lot of people. Yeah, no, I mean, definitely. I mean, what's your, what would be your advice to somebody or anybody that thinks they're either above like breathing or like you said, like you were before the walk, you said you would never do it. Like right. what's your advice to somebody that's in the same situation? Yeah. I mean, you don't know what you don't know. Right. So if you haven't experienced it for yourself, you can read about all the stuff you want to, you can mm -hmm. become, you know, a scholar, you know, whatever you, 
think. But if you haven't experienced it yourself, you don't really know how it's going to impact you, right? So you have to be in uh, in meditation, we call it uh, a beginner's mind, right? Where you're just like, you have to be going into things like you're starting them for the first time, um, regardless, right? So it's just having that mentality of I'm going to be open and receptive to this, even if I know a lot about the subject, um, or even if I've done a lot of research about it, like I need to go in with an open and receptive um, mentality when I'm when I'm trying new things for the first time. Right. So if you're going to um, not be open to it, just realize that you're closing yourself off to opportunities. Right. So it's moving out of that space of I'm going to close myself off. I want to keep myself into a place where I'm comfortable um, because that's what, you know, generally what we all do is try to keep ourselves mm-hmm. in comfort because, you know, the opposite, you know, as, as you know, military veterans, we know what it's like to feel uncomfortable and no one wants to feel uncomfortable, right? But if you know that <clears throat> doing research that this is a stress management strategy and that you can release uh, past impressions safely and that you can gain rest in the system and that you can really uh, benefit yourself from them, you have to be a little bit curious to say, you know, there's something behind this that is um, could benefit me overall. If I want to have a better quality of life and be the best version of myself that I can be, right? That's not a place of stagnancy, right? That's a place of growth. It's a constant thing, right? So again, going back to the beginner's mind, you have to, you know, really embrace that mentality of like, I'm going to go into this. I'm going to give my 100%, right? Because when we give our 100%, there is no regrets, right? If you give your, if you give 60% and it doesn't work out, you're always like, I could have given a little more. Right. And then you have, you know, regrets about not trying as hard as you could. Right. So beginner's mindset going in, be like, I'm going to give this my all and I'm going to try to do what um, I'm instructed to do. And it's pretty, um, it's pretty clear cut, um, you know, how they break it down in these courses. Um, And they, they give you recommendations for, you know, a day daily practice. And I just listened to those recommendations and it's something that I've been doing now for, yeah, since 2014, uh, these meditation and breathing strategies um, is something that I have really um, embodied and a lot of the, um, um, so much so that I, you know, started uh, teaching my, on my own, right? And that has really been my, kind of my mission um, since, since then is how are we able to um, provide these uh, practices in a practical way to uh, v- veterans and their families, right? Because looking at it, uh, I believe that, you know, I've, I've come across some of the greatest uh, people and some of the greatest leaders that I've ever experienced um, in the military, right? And if they're dealing with post-traumatic stress, if they're dealing with moral injury, they're sidelined, right? So they're not contributing mm-hmm. to the society, right? They're, they're, not, they're not bringing those skills um, into our communities, right? Because they're dealing with um, stress. Uh, so it's for me, it's like if we can, we need everyone off the bench, right? We need veterans to find their purpose. We need veterans to be able to um, contribute um, their knowledge and wisdom into the communities where they live because we have such a vast knowledge and understanding, not only of leadership, but um, but of how to be of service, right? Which is like, we need that more than ever, today right Mm, no definitely hey austin would you bring up tom's instagram and uh one thing um i wanted to do was have like a a way that any of our listeners if they wanted to reach out 
um, or they were interested in the program. I also just saw on your page that you're on a podcast yourself. Um, it said like ordinary Yogi podcast episode 75. Is that a podcast that you do regularly or was that a podcast that you joined? Turn to you, Tom. Can you hear them? I think my I'm lagging over here a little bit, so you're I'm oh, okay. Little... oh, oh, yeah, no, you're good. Um, so he was asking <clears throat> about the. Did you just do a podcast with the ordinary yogi? I think he's lagging over there. Yeah. <laughs> can you hear us? I can hear you, but it's a little choppy. Um, it might be my internet, but um... okay. Let's bring up for now, awesome. Let's bring up his Instagram. That way, we can point people to his page if they want to follow up with him, and we'll get into mm. ETI after that. Yeah. Unless there's anything else he wants to promote. Yeah. What's the name of your organization, Tom? <laughs> no, you're good. Um, okay, so yeah, I'll bring it up. Um, oh, yeah. Well, he's doing that. He'll get himself fixed. Bring up his mm. uh, his page. Okay. Yeah, uh, let's see. We are going to present. And it's at Tom underscore Voss. Correct. I got it rare. Well, yeah, so while Tom's fixing that, um, if you guys are interested in anything, I mean, you, oh, there he goes. Um, you, can, you can follow him or check out his um page which and then he because he has his own organization so yeah and i was looking at so like on his page it looks like he's associated with a podcast um and or he does it himself i think there's just one he's joined okay yeah and it looks like he was on one episode 75 of the ordinary yogi podcast and then he also has like um his page which it looks like if you go, can you go to click on his bio? Go to his bio. Link. Oh, there he is. Hold on. Are you back? I'm back. Can you hear me? Yeah, yep. I can hear you just fine. There you go. Can you hear us? Yeah, I got you. I, I had to switch over to my phone. I had a, okay. uh, my internet no, is wacky here. Yeah, no, okay. we're, we're just bringing up your page and then we were um, talking about where people might be able to go if they were interested in your meditations classes okay. or anything. Yeah, I can put it in the chat here. The website is ohi.earth and there's a veterans discount or you can just do drop-ins um, or you can just reach out uh, to me directly if it's something you just want to experience. And I wanted to offer uh, both of you, if you guys want to uh, experience a, a meditation session, a guided session, I'm happy to uh, offer that to you as well. Okay. I'm I'm very interested. The only, the only thing that I've had issues with with meditation, I don't remember if I brought it up last week or on a different podcast, is sitting still mm-hmm. for long periods of time. Yeah, so I thought of that, right? Because I had, a, I had those challenges. Well, in this meditation practice, you just lie down and you can get bits and pillows and stuff like that and get uh, super comfortable. So, 
do some like exercises and visualization stuff, some body awareness, and it puts you in a meditative stuff to worry about. Okay. I mean, I'm I'm 100% game. I'm very interested. On the spot, but um, yeah. So no pressure either way. But if you want to, we can we can uh, connect offline and um, yeah, and make that happen. Okay, Austin, did you want to bring up his site? Um, I can bring it up. Um, I sent you the link. Yeah, I know. I have it up right here. Just do better. I can't do, do that. better. Do better. Okay, cool. So this is Tom's website. It is www. O is an Oscar, J is in Juliet, A is an Alpha, I is an India dot Earth. Yeah. Oh, What's that acronym Earth. stand for? Uh, it's actually the place of the uh, the name of the town that I live in is Ojai, California, right? So oh, okay. it's kind of the the, inspir- the inspiration. I did a lot of uh, um, you know meditating here, spending time in nature. Um, uh, different things like that. So you can um, check out the website. There's um, uh, many different options. Again, like I said, there's a veteran discount uh, as well, if you're interested, but really it's just, you know, I'm providing support for people that are interested in um, incorporating a meditation practice into their, into their life. Right. Cause it was a, such a struggle for me to do it on my own. And I had no one saying that like, Hey, you could like come to this class a couple times a week and, you know, we can do it together um, and we can, um, work at it together. Right. So I was just, you know, doing it on my own sitting, <laughs> sitting cross-legged and like my, you know, having your lower back screaming, your legs hurting, all those different things. Right. So, you know, come to find out that's not totally necessary to do. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, <clears throat> providing a place where people can come virtually, um, check in a couple days a week, uh, and learn some strategies and breathing techniques, stuff like that to be able to help, uh, manage stress and bring rest to the system. Yeah, no, it's it's cool, and I one hundred percent will talk to you maybe either in DMs later or something because yeah. I'd be interested in trying a class and seeing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's all. I mean, that's all you can do, right? With any of yeah. these different healing modalities and different things out there, you just have to find something that resonates with you. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's so many different meditation uh, branches and and strategies and and different things out there. Um, you just have to find something that resonates with you, find a teacher that resonates with you, and then you're kind of off and running, right? You're, and it comes down to practice and, and really, you know, holding yourself accountable for, for doing that, which is um, really uh, important, right? Especially when it comes to healing, um, you have mm-hmm. to be able to show up, show up for yourself regularly, um, which is a challenging thing to do coming from the military where we've had everything done for us, right? Whether it's, you know, food and clothing, uh, you know, go here at this time, all those different things. Right. And now we have to transition into a position of like, I have to be able to stand alone um, and manage my life. Right. And, and manage all the things that are coming at me, right. Regardless of what's going on in my life, I still have to be able to manage that. And meditation, I really look at it is, is um, it's a practice of self-respect, right? Cause you're starting the morning. You're like, I'm going to go into a quiet place in the morning. I'm just going to sit. I'm going to check in with myself and make sure that I'm centered. Right. And if I'm not centered, I have strategies, breathing techniques, exercises that I can do to make sure that I am. Um, and then I'm bringing my a game into the day right from the beginning so that I can take on those challenges. And so they don't impact me as much as they would have, um, if I'm coming in, um, 
from a place of confusion and um, <laughs> stress, essentially, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, is there anything else you would like to plug before we get into our answer the internet question? Which is the pretty much the end. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just uh, check out Oh Higher Earth. You have some time. There's some some options there. There's a nice little five minute video that I kind of talk about why, uh, kind of my why about why I'm doing it. But um, um, yeah, if anyone is interested, they can always reach out to me, send me a message or an email, um, either through Instagram or the website. And I'm happy to answer any questions that anyone might have, you know, around deployment or healing or, or um, meditation or any of those things. I'm, I'm pretty open um, and receptive to, to those things. Okay. Yeah. We'll definitely put it in the description so you can check that out. Yeah. All right. Well, Austin, you want to take us into ATI and kind of explain what that is? Well, I mean, we don't for our new listeners. It's not too bad today. So, okay. Um, So moms (laughs) and dads can listen to this. We usually tell people at this point, like if you're a parent or sensitive, don't like, you know, stop the podcast at this point. Cause uh, we've had some pretty, pretty messed up questions on here. Yeah. 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 Well, there are a bunch of, would you rather, but we, we toned it down because we knew you, what you're coming we with. Some, and... We put some, some, you know, lighthearted questions, you know? Yeah. <laughs> All right, what, 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 you... what questions did Anthony get is I'm, I'm interested to hear that. Uh, I mean, we I, could go we, back and look I mean, at them. We have the same one. We can ask you the same ones. I mean, they're, pretty fucked up like uh let's see well, they're not too bad actually his weren't that bad either but i mean he, they were more fucked up than yours <laughs> so how about we do how about we do your ones that we picked for yeah. you because we only picked three and cool. um we'll grab like maybe two or three really fucked up ones from anthony's yeah. and you can do them as well and see what your answers were appreciate that yeah (laughs) all right cool we'll get into it first one would you rather lose the ability to speak or the ability to hear your for the rest of your life speak for sure yeah okay i think i said i think i'm gonna guide meditation without speaking type really i mean really it's like more (laughs) more about just sitting and being right um so like i'd definitely give up um speech uh for sure right because you still know what's going on around you right but Mm -hmm. yet you can still communicate with people right just give me a chalkboard or something right (laughs) Right. um but i don't have to engage in talking with people right which is the sometimes the most challenging right with other people so yeah for sure i think that would be my go-to okay yeah and you don't have to listen. You just have to listen to him, not talk to him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What about you, Austin? Um, see, that's hard because, I mean, if I if I do hear, then I don't have to listen to you anymore, Rob. Um, so I'm thinking I'm gonna go hearing. Okay, good. good. So here's the question that comes then: Is uh, how do you know what you're saying if you can't hear? Yeah. <laughs> well, see, when I, I guess that makes sense because even if you're deaf, you don't have normal speech. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I don't know. That's see. Yeah. That's hard. I enjoy talking. However, I it 
<laughs> and, and I love having a podcast, but I think I would go with my ability to speak because I would figure out a way around it. And, and as mm-hmm. Tom was answering, I was thinking like, oh shit, but I don't hear well already. I need hearing. Right, yeah, I'm already half deaf anyway. <laughs> However, the shit that really matters to me, I watch with subtitles. So if I can hear it and see it because I'm not losing my eyesight, fuck it. Like, you know, like okay. I yeah, love no, Amanda, but I, 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 think... <laughs> I won't have subtitles for her. I won't understand everything she's saying. And maybe that'll be a good thing, though. Maybe, maybe not. But... No, I think I, I think that's a good, a good option, though. I think speaking is. Yeah, speaking's out. I'm going to just mm. type everything. I'll it. All right. Right. Next one. You got it, Austin. Go. Okay, would you rather lose your ability to lie or believe everything you're told? Um, I think I would like to lose the ability to lie because I think that that would be so freeing in the sense that you're just you're just speaking truth, right? And then you just let <laughs> just people bluntly deal everybody. with everybody. <laughs> well, yeah. Liar, liar, like you're gonna Jim Carrey. You're going to make a lot of people mad. Yeah, I mean, you would probably be pretty isolated. So, you know, I wouldn't be talking. Mm-hmm. And now I can't, you know, now I can't tell a lie. No yeah, one if you can't talk, you can't lie. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So that's it's, 100% it's, true. Yeah. I'm going, going off the fact I can't speak and I just can't lie because I can't, can't speak. So, yeah. Because yeah, if you believe everything you're told, then that's anybody, can t- anybody can tell you anything. And you have gonna to. That's going to be a rough life, you know. Yeah, yeah. Gonna, especially nowadays. Okay, and unanimous. We are all going with we would not like to lie. Mm-hmm. Um, last of your questions, and then we'll grab, we'll cherry pick a couple from Anthony's. If you want to start researching that, Austin, I'm going to read this last one. Yeah, no, uh, would you Would you rather be able to restart your day at any point, or be able to just skip to the next day? Um, hmm. I have to think about that one. I think, um, I think I would like the reset, right? Because I think skipping the day, right? It's like, uh, you can kind of do that already. Like it's called being hungover, right? So yeah, <laughs> it's like, I've done enough of that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, days yeah, uh, that I think I can, uh, say that I'd like the other, uh, for sure. Okay, you okay. want to restart your day. What about you, Austin? Sure. So, yeah, so I think I'm going to restart the day because you never know what's going to happen to that day. And say you skip that day and you wake and you end up somewhere that you have no idea where you're at, like and how you got there yeah. because you skipped that day. Could have could have ended on a really good note, and you just said, "Nope, not going to deal with it." I mean, it could have. <laughs> you never. I mean, you never know what's going to happen that day. Like, sure. So I think I think I'm gonna restart. So I'm 100% gonna restart, but I'm doing it for malicious reasons. <laughs> the reasons are this, and they're simple. I am going to bet the most ridiculous bet on something that I know that is going to make me millions of dollars, and just you know, like make sure that it's like a, a sporting event. You know what I mean? And then you could I'm gonna know bet on that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm and if gonna, it didn't work I'm out, gonna... reset. 
and I don't think that I can change that sporting event. So, but the thing happen. is, do you restart your day with the knowledge from that day, or do you lose all your knowledge when you reset that day? I think you restart with the knowledge yeah, in my scenario because I want to win the money. Because my thought was like, if you restart the day, you lose all the knowledge of what happened that day. Like a light. Not in my world. Like no. men in black. Not, not in, in Rob's world. world. <laughs> no, not in my world. I get to restart it. And I know it started at 11.59. He's going to restart it. <laughs> yep. Right. Right before like, you know, like there's every single year something happens in like the Super Bowl that like, like uh, you can take like random bets or whatever. And by the way, mm-hmm. just so everyone knows, like I'm not like a freaking crazy gambler. But Rob's betting on the being... Super I've already bet on the Super Bowl. No, I haven't, and I never have. <laughs> but like perfect example, there was one year that the beginning play of a Super Bowl was a safety, and like someone put like five dollars on it, and the odds of that happening had literally never happened before, and then it happened. The dude won like two million dollars on like a five or ten dollar bet. <laughs> so I would do something like super obscure, and I'm the bet a hundred million dollars that a safety starts, and they'll be like, "What?" <laughs> yeah, but yeah, so I would restart my day. All right, okay. Enough of that. What do you got okay. for a fucked up one? Okay. Would you rather accidentally send a dick picture to your mom or your <laughs> wife's best friend? Well, I guess it would be I significant mean, other's best friend. Okay, well, probably my mom, I guess, because she's already. I mean, she Seen raised it. me, so it would. I just like sorry. Yeah. Wrong <laughs> person. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah or that, or like you know, destroy the relationships or whatever. I, I mean, <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. It's like, oh, sorry, I sent that to your best friend. Yeah, no, that would be. Yeah, um, and that's you can't say it's an accident. You can't the dick pic. You can't say it's an accident. So, <laughs> yeah, and then your your friend's gonna be like, "Why the fuck are you sending pictures to my wife?" Yeah, yeah. sounds like a terrible situation to be in, right? When said you're like, "Oh, sorry. yeah, oh, terrible." <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna go, and I'm pretty sure I answered this last week this way. Um, I'm going with send it to my mom. It's yeah, just same. a lot easier to mm-hmm. explain. No, Austin, yeah. you can't do that. Your mom's no longer with us, so like you're gonna have to send it to my mom, and I'm gonna <laughs> I mean... kill you. Different <laughs> thing. Uh, but your problem, Rob. All right. Um, let's see. The first one. You... Yeah, I was gonna do that one. Would you rather be naked at work for an hour? Or be dropped off two miles from your house, your house, naked, naked, and you have to try to get home. Hmm. Well, I mean, I think you do that at work. It depends on where you work, you know. Yeah, that's true. No, like you show up on camera teaching naked. Like you go to meditate and like hey, you're naked. They make yeah. they make naked yoga. I mean, it's a thing. I mean, I so like specialize uh, in that, so I don't think it'd be too far. <laughs> um, yeah, I would say probably work right because it's like how many people are you going to see on that walk? 
uh, probably quite a few uh, soon. Yeah, and then you can also get arrested you know, it's for not... public indecency. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I mean, both, uh, both depending on how understanding your coworkers are, I guess. Okay, so you're going with you're going with nude at work. Yep, going with nude at work. I am sneaking my way back to the Grand Canyon. I can't afford to lose my job. I show up naked there for even five minutes. <laughs> right. Everybody's go, gonna know. Everyone's gonna know. Like I'm better off. Like I'll just like hype my way down into the canyon, hide, wait till nighttime, come back up. <laughs> yeah. So I'm walking home. How about you, Austin? I mean, I'm just gonna pick the two miles because I work from home, so it's like a normal occurrence for me. Right. Wait, you're gonna <laughs> do naked at home or are you just gonna walk? I do naked from home like daily, so it's not no different. So I'm gonna go two miles. Okay. You're gonna change up. You're gonna live a little. You're gonna take a risk. Yeah. So Okay. Those were a couple of his fucked up ones. I think the other one was like, Would you rather lose your teeth or lose your dick? was one of them that was fucked up. Well. <laughs> yeah. Since I mean, you asked. Choice. I mean, you can always get dentures, right? I mean, I mean, you can. This is true. This is very true. Yeah, you got to eat too. So. Yeah. Yeah. Like how often are you really using it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> there's things you can choice. gum yeah no i'm i'm team dick i'm keeping my dick and <laughs> losing the teeth i'm a hockey player that somehow has kept his teeth this long right so, i mean eventually they're gonna be coming out and you know as we get older anyway so might as well yank exactly. them exactly yeah well, yep. yank them keep the dick all right we're all team dick <laughs> okay is there anything else you want to cover rob no, I feel like this was a great episode, Tom. If you don't mind, stick around when we close out because uh, we do like a little group sure. picture. We're going to have to have you get naked so we can get a photo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Tom, is there anything else you want to plug? Because otherwise I'm going to close this out. We just hit two hours. No, no I appreciate the opportunity to go on and share my experience. And absolutely cool absolutely um austin it's always a pleasure seeing you occasionally um, other than that yourself yeah 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 no <laughs> but on the real we appreciate everyone who's checked out this episode definitely go check out the documentary go check out tom's page um also we didn't mention it but we'll include a link for it tom has a book out that his sister wrote Make sure you check that out if you're in the... What's the name of the book, Tom? Um, the name is Where War Ends, um, and it's a memoir I wrote with my uh, sister, and it really... It, it's like the documentary is kind of a flyover, and this kind of goes into kind of the lessons that I learned, so it's a more of a deep dive. And, um, you know, years after I finished the trek, so kind of like the takeaways that I... That I um, came to it's a good uh a good experience for people that either ha are um, have loved ones that have served um because i'm really kind of open and, and honest about my experiences with you know being in war and coming home and all that kind of stuff so it helps give uh build some understanding 
um, around those topics. Awesome. Oh, quick question before I wrap it up. Uh, do you guys do an audiobook version or is it just hardcover or just a book? Yeah. Yeah, there's audiobook version available as well. Yeah. Ends. Um, yeah. Okay, good. Because if I decide to read it, to. I will listen to it before I will physically read it. All right, cool. Thank you very much, Tom. Stick around for a second. Uh, thank you, all of our Fight Like Hell listeners. We love you guys and peace.